one thing that we get to do that no other creature on the planet can do is that we get to add value by creating things. And I went from $40 million in revenue to watching everything that I had built for God get sold. You've got to make sure that your identity is solidly rooted in who you are in Christ and not in having money. I sold my company and I really had a hard time getting out of bed. Maybe been a long year, maybe been a hard life, maybe you're not alright. Faith-driven entrepreneurs to do what they want to do have to understand what God has given them. There's winners and learners, not winners and losers. I feel like I was chosen to be on this show for a reason and I had to do something. Like we're addicted to comfort. And he's called me into really difficult positions. That's what he's told me to walk into. People like you, people like me. This is where we all find grace. Come on now. Entrepreneurship can be a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. This podcast and the whole ministry seeks to equip you, the faith-driven entrepreneur, to seize the unique opportunities that God has placed in front of you and overcome the challenges that life will throw your way. These are the stories of how he takes broken things and makes them new. Come for the podcast, stay for the community. Welcome to Faith Driven Entrepreneur. Hey everyone, once again, you found us, the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast, and we can't tell you how much we appreciate week after week, you downloading and being a part of our community. So thank you. Our guest today is Jordan Rayner. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's a best-selling author. And he's a community builder who speaks to the eternal impact of work. He's written several best-selling books, including Called to Create, a biblical invitation to create, innovate, and risk. He also wrote Redeeming Your Time and Master of One. And today we talked to Jordan about his most recent book, The Creator in You, which is written specifically for kids. See, Jordan wants the next generation to understand that on the sixth day of creation, God gave us the calling to be his image bearers and to fill the earth by doing what he did first, create. Through this book, Jordan hopes to inspire readers of all ages to view the work they create, whether it's crafts or sandcastles or even future cities, with purpose, enthusiasm, and joy. In addition to his work as an author, Jordan is the CEO of the venture-backed tech startup Threshold 360, which is on a mission to allow anyone to virtually step inside any location on earth. Jordan will be joining us as a speaker for Faith Driven Entrepreneur Live in September. And today, we look forward to having a close friend of the movement join us on the FDE podcast. Let's listen in. Welcome back to the Fate Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. And I don't want to time date this because I think that today's podcast in some ways is going to be timeless. We're going to be talking about reaching a new audience with the Fate Driven Entrepreneur message. So I don't know necessarily want to say exactly when this is, even though it is at the end of July, 2022. But it's been a little <laughs> while since Rusty William and I got together. It's been at least a month, maybe two. Yep. And I've missed you. I've missed you both. Yeah. You too. Well, well done on not timestamping it. That was really well done. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I would I, I would talk <laughs> about how it's been a crazy summer, but that would add yeah. to the timestamp. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And not keep and them it's not hot. It's not hot nope. anywhere. It's just really hot. But everywhere. for our frequent <laughs> listeners that will know, and, and there are some, I, I tell you, I, I've been so encouraged by actually finding people that said, you know, I've listened to every one of your Faithful Entrepreneur podcasts. I'm like, really? It's unbelievable. Even I haven't. I missed a couple, and I don't even know that I've listened to the ones that I missed, but some people have done that. But if you've been listening to this for a long time, thank you. It's an incredible encouragement, number one. Number two, yes, if you find this as encouragement to you, please do think if there are other faith-driven entrepreneurs that you think would benefit from listening to this. But you'll also know that Rusty is bi-coastal, and Rusty, William, and I hail from the Bay Area. I think that the message we have is it goes beyond the bounds of geography, and it most absolutely does in the summertime when Rusty joins us from Rhode Island. Yeah, on the other coast. It's all good. And, you know, over the years, you know, think about it. William, you were in Atlanta. Now you're back. You know, so, uh, yeah, we've been all over the place with each other. It's all great. Indeed. And then, but let's get to our guest today. As we were talking before we went live with Jordan Rayner, it's a surprise to all of us that Jordan hasn't been on the show yet. Jordan has been passionate about the craft of faith driven entrepreneurship and being used by God in the marketplace for his glory. The occasion of this interview is about a book that he released that really just captured me. And we're going to talk about that a bit, but I think we're going to talk about hopefully more of his work in general too. But specific to this, why we're talking today, there's something beautiful about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that it is infinite in its simplicity and infinite in its complexity. It's so simple that even a child can understand the beauty of the message of the gospel, and yet we can plumb the depths of the Bible and the work that God has done in the world, and we would, and even angels look to learn these things, look into these things that is the gospel. So they've been around for millions of years. They haven't completely figured it out. So it's infinite in its complexity, and it's infinite in its beauty. But Jordan has written a book that talks about how faith-driven entrepreneurship can actually be really, really simple too. And the call to create is all through this new book that he's written, and it is beautifully illustrated. And I'm so grateful for a book that allows a parent to be able to help a young child understand how God might use their creativity for his glory and to bring that young child close to him as they progress, because nothing like that, to the best of my knowledge, has ever existed before. Jordan's gone off and done it, and he's done it with excellence. So Jordan, welcome to the program. Thank you for your work. Tell us a bit about it. Uh, It's a joy to be with you guys. Tim Keller uh, said this book is almost unique. I I don't don't know what would make it unique. I got to ask Tim, but almost unique is good enough. I feel really good about that. Yes, (laughs) it's pretty good. So honestly, you know, the seed of this idea came when I was writing my first book for grownups called The Crate, which I interviewed you, Henry, for. You make an appearance, as you know, and called The Crate. And that book is really was me trying to help us all see that, you know, before God tells us that he is holy or loving or omnipotent, he tells us he's a God who creates and makes things, but not a God who creates alone, a God who in his inimitable goodness and grace invites you and I to create alongside of him. And when I was writing that book, there was the seed of this idea that one day I wanted to translate that message into language that kids could understand. And then when I started having kids of my own, I think that seed started to germinate. So fast forward to today, six years later, I've got three young daughters. 
and I have read them, I don't know, maybe a dozen books on the creation account of Genesis 1. And you guys know the drill, right? All these books follow the same pattern. On day one, God created this. On day two, God created that. Day three, four, five, six, the end. And these books, if I'm frank, like drive me bonkers because we're bearing the lead of the creation account. The sixth day wasn't the end of creation. It was just the beginning. It's when God passed the baton to you and me and told us to go fill this earth. And so that's the message we're trying to convey in the creator and you. It's essentially a three-act drama in three minutes. We're in act one. You're seeing God create. We're using language and illustrations that show him working, right? Act two, about a third of the way through the book, it says this. It says, and now you might think that our story is ending because every other book about Genesis 1 tells you it's ending. We don't say that. Uh, but in fact, this is just the beginning because God made you to look like him, to act and work and create with him. Because while in six days God created a lot, there are so many things that he simply did not. Like bridges and baseballs, sandcastles and s'mores. God asked us to create and fill the planet with more. And then the last act is just this like beautiful montage illustrated by my illustration partner, Jonathan Voss, watching these kids fill the earth with art and lemonade stands and businesses and tree forts and culture. And what we've seen as kids have latched on to this book is our hope is that they're going to view their current work, whether it's art projects around the house, whether it's their future careers, whatever, with renewed God-ordained purpose and joy. And by God's grace, we're already seeing some of that fruit just a couple of months after the book's been released. You know, there's so many great stories of dropouts getting out there and starting a business. Do you see an entire generation of kids dropping out of preschool to start businesses? I don't know about that. I don't know that I go that far. <laughs> I'm, kidding uh, I'm no. kidding you. But there's something about the cultural influences enriching yeah. our kids. Yes. And one of the things I've heard you talk about before is that church, of course, is a great thing. And yet we know that there are cultural influences that are going to shape our children. Tell us a little bit more about what that yes. looks like. Oh, my goodness. The sad, cold, hard fact is that our kids are going to grow up with the largest generation of kids on record who have no religious affiliation. None whatsoever. And as those kids get older, they're not going to walk into the walls of a church to learn about Jesus for the first time. Maybe they will. Maybe God will work a miracle and they will. But the statistics as we know them now, that's likely not going to happen. So where are they going to learn about Christ? They're going to learn about Christ through mainstream films created by apprentices of Jesus, through novels that subtly and winsomely and artistically awaken people's hearts to their need for redemption. They're going to learn about God through businesses created by, founded by current faith-driven entrepreneurs and the next generation of faith-driven entrepreneurs. They're going to learn about God through culture. I strongly believe that more than likely, it's going to be by re-embracing the first commission, this call to create, that our kids are going to be the most effective at the great commission and the call to make disciples. And I think we can plant the seed of that message right now, helping our kids understand these very simple truths that number one, God creates. And number two, he invites them to create alongside of them. And that's part of the reason why I wrote The Creator in You. So Jordan, I mean, I, I totally agree with you um, uh, on the church side. And I, I find it somewhat sad though, because the church at one time, it, it, it was the pioneer 
right? In arts and music. That's where we went to find uh, the Handel's Messiah. You know, they, they performed him in churches. So, but that's kind of receded. So can we get back to that? And if you think we can, how do we do it? I think we can. Here's the deal. The church is the leader in arts and music and culture for a long, long, long time. It's only in the last 200 years that we've really lost our mantle of leadership here. And you know what else has happened in the last 200 years? At the risk of sounding heretical, please hear me out. The Great Commission for the first time in church history has become the only commission of the church functionally, right? If you go back more than 200 years of church history, number one, the term Great Commission literally didn't exist. Let's not forget this. This isn't a part of the biblical manuscripts. Is it great? Yeah, but it's not the only thing. Also, if you go back more than 200 years, the early church never interpreted Jesus' words in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations as the exclusive thing that the church is supposed to do. Historically, the church has accepted that Christians have a dual vocation. The first commission to create, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to implement God's sovereign rule over every square inch of creation, and the Great Commission, the call to make disciples. Can we get back to our leadership in the arts and business and culture? Absolutely. But it's going to be by ensuring that we don't preach the Great Commission so myopically that we totally drown out the First Commission, which God has never, ever once in his word rescinded. You know, it feels to me like you're calling out to entrepreneurs, that you're calling out for those who want to build on what we have and try to take it to the next level to play a role in this. I mean, do you see that? Yeah, totally, right? Entrepreneurs have disproportional impact and influence in this world, right? And faith-driven entrepreneurs, those animated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, have tremendous opportunities to, number one, scratch off the thin veil between heaven and earth, right? To make this world, to make the kingdom come a little bit more on earth as it is in heaven. Number two, to make disciples. We've already talked about that. And number three, just a real foundational level. I don't think we talk about this enough. The work of entrepreneurs, the work of any Christian doing good work that contributes to human flourishing simply brings God pleasure. Brings him pleasure, brings him happiness. The Psalms say that God takes delight in every detail of the lives of the godly. That includes you going to work tomorrow and building your business with excellence and love and in accordance with his commands. And if you do that, I think we can bank on the fact that the Father is smiling upon us, that we bring him joy, and that should be good in and of itself. That in and of itself should be enough to motivate us to go to work tomorrow and do the work a little bit better simply as a means of making our Father happy. Yeah, so that, I mean, that should remind all of us that yeah. creativity and in our, our ability to create is a God-given call. doesn't matter what you do, right? We all can create. But it seems like we get barriers in front of us, right? It's like we should be as creative, we should push through, but, you know, either the way we're raised or culture, society says, no, you can't, that's too big of an idea, no, you shouldn't. I mean, I almost hear like you're saying that we've got to figure out a way to go back and be childlike. Yeah. You know, where we can see the clouds and see the animals in the clouds. And it doesn't matter to someone says, you know, no, you can't. Yeah, totally. And I think there's this idea that 
you know, number one, some people have grown up believing that they're not creative. And theologically, that just doesn't work, right? As Jen Wilkins says, we are not creation optional beings because we're made in the image of the creator God, right? Number two, though, even those of us who do feel creative, do feel entrepreneurial, are stunted by the tyranny of utility, right? We are so utilitarian obsessed. Everything has to have function. Everything has to have explicit purpose that leads to direct ROI. Listen, I'm all about ROI, but look at Genesis. Look at Revelation 21. We worship a God who creates with gratuitous, needless, excessive beauty. There are 17,500 species of butterflies in the world. There's not a lot of purpose in that. It's just God showing off how creative he is. The New Jerusalem, the base of the New Jerusalem is 5,600 miles of precious stones. That's roughly from my house in Florida to Romania. What's the purpose of 5,600 miles of precious stones? Nothing. Just excessive beauty. God creates with excessive joy and excessive beauty. And we can do the same, right? We don't have to stay confined to the utilitarian boxes. Now, this is overly simplistic, right? We don't have a ton of time to really draw out the nuance here that's really important. But I think that vision is part of what we're trying to capture in the creator and you, showing God just creating with extravagance and beauty. Oh, that is beautiful, Jordan. And I, I know you said we don't have time to go into all the nuance. I, I want to go one small layer deeper, though. So Great. someone listening to this, right? I love the... I've never thought about 17,000 species of butterflies, although I do read a great insect book with my four-year-old every night and I learn a lot. Like, what does that mean for a day-to-day -day entrepreneur, right? Oh, like, so, so extravagance beauty, 5,600 miles so of good. stones. Like, does that mean do some wasteful things? Yeah. Does it mean do them? This is in, good. What does that mean for somebody listening? Here, here's what it means to me. Here's how I apply it to my work as an author and entrepreneur. I fight real hard for originality. And not just riffing off of others' ideas. I fight really hard for true breakthrough innovative ideas because I know the creator God who's the source of infinite creativity and ingenuity lives and dwells and works through me, right? That's what it means practically. That if I come up to a problem and I'm only making the product 5% better than the next thing, I'm trying to go back to the drawing board remembering that the God of the universe who creates 17,500 species of butterflies is in me and helps me to create things that are truly original because that's whose image I'm made in. Mm, that's good. That's good. Okay. So perfect segue. Tell us your creation story. How did you get where you are? You just kind of gave us the tip of the iceberg there, but how did oh you gosh. get into writing and, and encouraging yeah. people? How did you get into this path and, and where did you come from? Oh man, it's a very messy path. Uh, that's the short Aren't answer, they all? right? So here's a short story. First vocational love, uh, eighth grade. I knew I was going to run political campaigns for the rest of my life. And I was like pretty serious about this through high school. I was running campaigns in high school and college, did a quick internship at the Bush White House, and then decided that wasn't for me. Pivoted to entrepreneurship, did that for about 10 years, and had a lot of fun doing that. And about half of that time that I spent full-time in tech I had no construct of a theology of work. I had no idea how my work mattered to God. I was a Christian, uh, but there was no connection between my faith and my work. And one Sunday, I was at church. I was thinking about starting a new venture. And I heard, unfortunately, what's a very familiar sermon that I think a lot of our listeners have heard. This sermon that was 
making me feel guilty for wanting to go start another business when there was a need for people to move and plant churches and move to mud huts 5,000 miles away from home. And so my wife and I started praying really seriously about two paths. Number one, start another business. Or number two, go plant a church. And by God's grace alone, I had a godly mentor in my life pull me aside after church one day. This guy led Bible studies at our church. And he's like, hey, I heard you're thinking about planting a church. I'm like, yeah. And I'm thinking this guy's going to pat me on the back, maybe write a check to get us going. And he just looked me square in the eyes. He's like, yeah, I got to be honest. That sounds really dumb for you specifically. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, Jordan, you're a gifted entrepreneur. You have created jobs. You've created some wealth for your investors. Why do you think you have to go plant a church in order to quote unquote do ministry? Don't you get that your work as an entrepreneur is ministry? And I said, no, I have literally no idea what you're talking about. So he gave me Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor and it radically changed my life. It helped me understand what we've been talking about, that before God tells us he is love, he tells us that he's the creator God, as I say, and called the great, the first entrepreneur. Uh, and that just radically shifted my perspective. So obviously I didn't go plant a church. I went and ran somebody else's business for a few years, this business called Threshold 360. And then eventually, the irony, of course, is I left that world to write full-time, encouraging others to stay where they're at and do ministry as entrepreneurs. But that's the short, rough story of how this all came to be. That's amazing. And I want to poke at one piece of that because a lot of entrepreneurs, and we have aspirational entrepreneurs, of course, listen as well. I want to ask you a question about when you said you prayed really seriously with your wife. Yeah. What does that mean? What did that look like to you? How did you discern the voice of God when you were trying to decide, you know, obviously yeah. from I'm listening to you, I'd say, well, both of those would probably be pleasing to him yeah, totally. one way or the other. Right? There was no wrong answer, no. but also how did you decide and what does pray seriously mean to you? And what did it mean to you during that season? Yeah, this is really good. Praying seriously didn't mean we're like weeping and laying on the floor playing again. It's just by praying consistently about this thing and taking one small step at a time in the direction of exploring these options. But honestly, the way we made the decision at the time was largely through that mentor of mine who said it sounded really dumb for me to go plant a church. It was God speaking through another believer that helped us discern the right path. I wouldn't have said this back then, but I think now looking back, I could say as an encouragement to listeners, man, so long as our decisions aren't out of step with God's word, I don't think there is a right or wrong decision. I think God in his goodness gives us a lot of freedom. He has this big picture mission for all of us to bring him glory in everything that we do. He says, all right, kids, how do you want to do that? Choose your own adventure, like those old books used to say, right? I think he gives us a lot of freedom in that matter. Now, we need to do that wisely. We need to seek out counsel as we do it. Scripture is really clear about that. But scripture is also clear that regardless what path we choose, the Lord's purposes will prevail. Every single time. Tim Keller says, for a Christian, there is no plan B. And as I've gotten older and further into my career, that's given me a lot of freedom to just make decisions and getting, frankly, increasingly focused in my career on the work I think I could do most exceptionally well for the glory of God and the good of others. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Prayer, scripture, and wise counsel. I remember hearing that from my crew director 20 years ago. It's good advice. 
It leads you in good places. And so last question I'd have for you and turn it over to the other team here. Uh, so you have served as a chairman of a venture-backed startup. So, you know, yeah. we don't talk exclusively about tech startups yeah. here, of course, but yeah. that's an experience of yours. What did you learn? What did you learn being in the middle of that and understanding what's going on? And what were your experiences? It's a lot more fun to go to board meetings when you're not CEO. That's uh, that's what I learned. No, I mean, so looking back at my trajectory, and I'm still pretty heavily engaged in this business, Threshold 360. I ran it as CEO for two and a half years. It's actually one of the first times I met Henry was when I was running that business. And then I've been chairman now, executive chairman for three years. And I think in that transition, in that transition of roles, I think the number one thing I learned is that I'm not that special. That I could pass the baton to the next leader of that business and nothing would happen. Nothing would break. I remember coming to the office one week after I stepped down as CEO for my first one-on-one with my successor. And I'm like checking in on my old team, the, these people I hired, I'm like, oh, how, how are things going? And I'm excited to be like, oh man, the place is burning down. We need you back. Please come back, whatever. And it was just like, yeah, everything's great. Uh, <laughs> everything's cool. And it spoke to a truth I think we see all throughout scripture God doesn't need any one person to accomplish the work he wants done in the world, right? He didn't need Moses to lead his people into the promised land, so he chose Joshua. He didn't need David to complete the temple, so he chose Solomon. He doesn't need me to do anything. If I die tomorrow with unfinished symphonies and the things that were on my to-do list are still on God's to-do list, he's going to complete them with or without me. And I don't know, like that enables me to rest it enables me to be at peace with my never-ending to-do list. I talk a little bit about this in my book, Redeeming Your Time. And I just saw that firsthand with that experience with Threshold and making that transition. I'm not that special. Neither are you. And the irony is that's an encouraging thing. It's a freeing thing. It's a life-giving truth that we find in God's Word. So we are and we aren't. Let me push back on that a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. So without saying that you're wrong, because you're not wrong. Say I'm wrong. That's all right. Well, I think it's the beauty of the tension between the fact that we are incredibly special. We're creating the image of this creative all yes. incre- where his image bears. Yes. Of course, we're very special. So special that he sent his son to die for us because he wanted to redeem him. And yet, of course, all the things you say are incredibly important and incredibly true. He does not need us to accomplish his purposes. But wow, what a special thing it is when we lean into the invitation. We accept the invitation to participate in what he's doing for his glory. And that's one of the things in my entrepreneurial journey I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with over time, which is this kind of concept of selfish ambition, which is, while yes, the scripture that talks about taking up our cross is true and applicable, there is God has created me in his image and has created me with a yearning to be happy, to feel God's pleasure when you think about the Chariots of Fire movie. And so I'm about experiencing God's joy. And I think that we have this opportunity to lean into that. But if we think that it has to be done under our power, it won't happen. And we won't experience any joy. Yeah. So just navigating the balance between not being important and yet being incredibly important at the same time. I mess that balance up all the time. Yeah, me too. And I think what's helping me is realizing that it is in who Christ says I am that makes me special. I have no inherent Specialist, right? He calls me an adopted child of God, right? And that gives me infinite worth and dignity. And if you want to use the word, quote unquote, specialness, right? 
And yet at the same time, I am just one of billions of actors in this grand kingdom building drama that God has invited me into. And I love getting lost as an extra in that story. If our listeners are anything like me right now, I'm sitting here going, why can't I have Jordan as my board chair? <laughs> I mean, I, trust me, you know, if they knew they wouldn't be thinking that. Yeah, no, but, you know, approaching it in the way that you approach it with humility, with sort of a lot of self-actualization. But I'm not going to let you get away from here without imparting some wisdom from that seat as the board chair or as a, you know, significant board member to our entrepreneurs who are trying to work with their boards and be more effective, be more productive, have better relationships. You know, just leave us with some nuggets here yeah. that uh, we could take with us. Yeah, I'll leave you with maybe the number one piece of advice, not maybe, definitely, the number one piece of advice that I've given to our CEO over and over and over again. When you're running a startup that's growing really quickly, everything looks important and almost nothing is, right? And so you've got to make the time. When you have no time, when you apparently have no time, You've got to make the time to discern what's really essential. And oftentimes that looks like doing nothing. Nothing. Literally. Literally just taking a walk away from your laptop, not answering my emails as soon as they come in, and just making time to think, right? I really believe that's the silver bullet to effectiveness when you're running an organization that's changing and growing so rapidly is the discipline to break away from the laptop and just think, right? So that's one thing I'm always coaching our CEOs to do. Here's the other piece of advice I would give between CEOs and boards. I've seen some CEOs make this mistake before where they treat board meetings, this is real practical advice, board meetings as just reports, right? Like I'm coming in and reporting on the business. That is not a great use of everybody's time, right? Use an email report or something ahead of the meeting to brief everybody in the core metrics or whatever and tee up the things you want to talk about in the room and be vulnerable with your board. Your board knows that you don't have it all figured out, that you don't have all the answers to your questions. So you're going to have a much better experience and frankly, a much more fruitful business if you come into the room with legitimate questions that you don't know the answers to and humbly submit yourself to the expertise of people who have already been there. It can help you solve the problem. It's great advice. Indeed. Great advice. Okay. This is the time in our program when we go to lightning round. Lightning round. And uh, to keep you on your toes, two rules. Number one, whatever show notes the team sent out to you in advance about what the lightning round questions would be, it won't be those. Great. I love this. So now you're really on your toes. This is great. No, I love Number this. Number two, you got to keep your responses to 30 seconds or less. Done. Or you get disqualified. Disqualified. Get what, what happens then? Negative points. Okay, I got oh, Just it. awful things. Awful, awful You things. don't want to see into it. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Creator and you, I think we've established on this podcast that it's a book that every parent is, if indeed they love their children, should get. <laughs> okay. So that's Important one. qualifier, yeah. Okay. You are the parent. You're the father of three girls. What yes. is the second most important book? for a parent to buy and read with their children? Jesus Storybook Bible. 
There you go. Gosh, that's well answered. I'm right with you on that one. Okay. That was very good. You use much less. Than that was two seconds. seconds. Two seconds. But, but, but you don't get the 27 seconds back for the next Okay. Time. Got it. Got it. Got it. It's right. clear on the rules. In fact, oh, no, no. In these fact, don't add up. These don't add up. In fact, since we now know that you blew out your quota, you now have to do the next one in less than three seconds. Great. No, I, I got it. Got it. You spent nine months recruiting a replacement. Very important, the transition you had at Threshold 360. Give us just one nugget, just one thing to think about when finding a replacement, finding mm. your successor, please. Don't think about people. Think about profile. Even if you mm. got people in mind who could be great for the job, on the team, outside the company, ignore the name, profile the role. Who do oh, you need so agnostic of names? That's it. Yeah, very good. Common mistake I've made is I've got somebody in mind and I just try to fit them in the role. And then a lot of times that doesn't work well because I didn't start with profile first. That was great wisdom. Very good. Okay. Number three, you are now a creative. You've been an operator, yeah. entrepreneur, investor. You're a creative. What do you overcome? What's a go-to to overcome writer's block? I honestly don't get writer's block. I get this question a lot. Wow. It never happens. And I think it's related to two things. Number one, I write at the exact same time every day. I don't wait for inspiration to strike. I write from 7.45 to 9.45 a.m. every single day. And I don't just read books and let them sit there. I read and take notes as I go. And I have a library of 5,500 notes. So if I got writer's block, I just go into my note archive in Evernote, search by tag, see what's building up, and double down on that topic. I don't know if that's helpful. Well done. Partners? you have anything? I could go on on this forever. I'm fascinated by this. And Jordan's doing very well. Always write inside or did he go outside sometimes to write? Ah, uh, man, I live in Tampa in the summer, so never outside in the summer. I will say this. This is a writer's block answer, actually. If I'm like really stumped on something, I'll change the location. I'll go to a coffee shop or if it's a really hard problem, I walk and 100% of the time I solve the problem. That's a good percentage. You should probably, yeah. <clears throat> you should probably walk more. I should probably walk a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just throwing that out there. Okay. So I've recently been turned back onto fiction. So this yeah. may be a question random. Two fiction books for creative people to think through and that might spark something that some of us that just keep reading business books and nonfiction yeah. books maybe need to break out of. I think I've read two fiction books maybe in my entire life. So I'm not the best person. Hey, listen, Narnia, right? I do love Narnia. I read it every few years. I don't read a lot of fiction, but I have been reading more nonfiction that reads like fiction, that's very narrative-driven. That's some of my favorite books. I just read an extraordinary book on the Apollo 8 mission, the first guys to go to the moon. Uh, it's called Rocket Men. It was one of the best written books I've ever read. It reminded me a lot of my all-time favorite book, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. It was just so beautifully written. Agreed. Incredible, yeah. incredible book. Yeah, historical fiction counts. That's fun, yeah. too. Do you think that God storyboarded the creation story? I sure hope so. <laughs> I sure hope so. Like a Pixar film? Yeah. 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 I mean, he, he storyboarded it out and then he said, okay, now I'm going to go do it. Or do oh, you think man. he just did it off know. the cuff? I don't know. I mean, all right, let's look at, all right, let's, act, let's really answer the question. Look at Exodus. And they're like, I don't know what it is, 13 chapters of Exodus where God is giving insanely detailed plans for building the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think we worship a God who plans. Hopefully they took the form of storyboards. I don't know. I don't think he creates on a, a way. He can be sure. Of course, he can do whatever he wants. Sovereign. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. 
It's a fun question. What if it turns out it was like a BlackBerry app? <laughs> who, who knew? Right? Who the knew? You can see, tell me in the Old Testament now. I'm doing the Bible in one year with Nikki Gumbel and just finishing out Kings. I got to tell you that when you think about the juxtaposition with the care and the detail and the planning and the beauty and the majesty of what Solomon's temple must have looked like, and then the destruction, and part of it is just bit by bit, it's dismantling with the good and the bad kings of Judah that just lost their way. And then these kings came in and they, you know, they dismantled the bronze and then the Holy See was taken for parts and just, oh my goodness. And I just, my hope for those listening to this that are faithful entrepreneurs is that we will build something for God's glory and that it will last, not because he needs it, but because these are things that can bear witness to him. And that, that when we talk about succession, that the people that will go ahead and run the enterprise or go and be the next generation to take the mantle of bringing about God's glory in the marketplace will continue to be men and women after God's heart and that his people will not be dismantled and sent off into a Babylonian captivity. But man, just so depressing just to see the dismantling of that temple that God spent so much time and thought and planning and executing on. Mm. And let's, all right, I'm going to go here. Let's not forget this. This is a whole other episode sometime. Maybe you guys have unpacked this at length before, but Isaiah 60, Revelation 21, 26, makes it pretty clear that these businesses we're running, some of them have a chance of physically lasting under the new earth. Revelation 4, 11, the saints are saying, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. As we're singing that, I think we're going to see some of the widgets, some of the work of our hands, purified, redeemed, but right there on the new earth, laid at the feet of Jesus as an offering to adorn the new Jerusalem. Amen. Wow. That should inspire us. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. So this last one is kind of a part of lightning round, kind of not, but it is the way we end every one of our podcasts. William, tee it up for us. Yeah. At the end, what we'd love to do, uh, as we've talked about a little bit here, is to bring it back to God's word. And just understand, uh, it's amazing to find out how he continues to live and breathe his word into our guest life and how that transcends into our listeners' lives. So we'd love to invite you to share a piece of God's word that may be coming alive to you right now. It could be something this morning, could be something in the season of life, could be something you've been carrying with you as long as you've known Jesus. Uh, yeah. We just want to invite you to share something from his scripture that is on your mind today. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. This is easy. Think about a lot of the last six months or so. And I think it's because so much of my work in this children's book is a great example. The creator in you is all about doing our work for God, right? He's called us to this mission. He's called us to create for his glory. But man, I can find myself, and I'm willing to bet a lot of our listeners can find themselves getting so obsessed with doing our work for God that we neglect to do it with him. And really aware of his presence basking in his grace and his gospel at a personal level. And so that's what I'm seeing in the word, right? I was reading Revelation 21 the other day, the next children's book, spoiler alert, that's where we're going. And you know, before God gives us the task of ruling and reigning the new heavens and the new earth with him forever, it says he's just with us. We're with God. He is coming to dwell with us. 
That's what he wants primarily. God doesn't need us. He wants us. We're his children. And that's been rocking my world a little bit. And relearning that truth and applying it to my life and my work each day. I like that. I like that a lot. Reigning with God. That makes us all rainers. There None you go. more so than Jordan Rayner. And that a good one. A, yeah. In a podcast edition, which we're talking about being a dad, we'll close it off with a dad joke. Jordan, it is awesome being with you. Grateful for the work you do. Looking forward to having you back on with the next book and just just riffing with you again. God bless you, brother. Yeah, it's been a joy being with you guys. Thank you. We are grateful for the opportunity to serve the community and see listeners come in from more than 100 countries. Entrepreneurship is often a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. The best way to stay connected is to join a group study with other faith-driven entrepreneurs like yourself. There's no cost, no catch. In person or online, you can meet for an hour a week with your peers from your backyard or the other side of the world. You can also stay connected by signing up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of many of our friends. Executive producer Justin Foreman, intro mixed and arranged by Summer Dregs, audio and editing by Richard Barley, our theme song is In the House by David Crowder. <laughs>